0: Disclaimer. I use the word queer as an identifying label for myself freely and without shame. I understand that this word has and continues to do harm when it is used derogatorily against members of the LGBTQ community, and so I will not use it to identify any other person without their permission. I'm also incredibly proud of its reclamation and its inclusivity. If this is something that will upset you, I'd recommend finding another of many, many people who will talk about LGBTQ topics and learning from what they have to say instead. Thank you for understanding. Howdy. I'll be honest, I've been super swamped and exhausted pretty much all year, and I've been motivated less and less to put in the time and do the work, but here I am. I'm late, (laughs) Uh, but I'm here. Among procrastination and poor time management, I have many bad habits. The most pervasive is biting my nails. I can't remember a time where I didn't bite them, and there is no rhyme or reason to when it strikes. I'm usually not conscious of it until after the fact, at which point there's really nothing to do about it. I spent many, many years of my life just accepting that fact about myself, and since I never bled or got myself infected, it was easy enough to live with. My assumption was that nothing could stop it, and to a certain extent, I was right. To this day, the only deterrent, and it is by no means a certain one for me biting my nails, is colored nail polish. It's a pain to put on, but it works. The only problem is that I get complacent. I pick some polish off absentmindedly, and then it's off to the races to see which nail I relapse on first. Making so much progress and then seeing it all wiped out in an instant, particularly by my own actions, is disheartening and frustrating. So that's, in effect, what I want to talk about for this recording, life as a queer person in the quieter moments, the unsafe moments, the moments of silent destruction. Well, that's the idea, anyway. (laughs) We'll see what comes of it. In practically every aspect of my life, I have been both lucky and privileged, none more so than in my family, whom I love dearly. They have accepted and supported me every step of the way, and as I've come to learn just how expansive, diverse, and wonderful my community is, so too have they taken the steps to learn and involve themselves. I knew they would still love me no matter what, that I had nothing to fear for coming out to them or even just exploring the idea of being queer, but even so, it took me years to fully admit it to myself and to them. It was like the closet door had always been open, but the threshold was replaced with quicksand. I wanted to just walk through the door, and I knew I could, but something held me back every time, so my movement was glacial. Thousands of little moments of progress, but none enough to get me over the line. Part of me just wanted to float on top of the sand and quietly wait for help. And I think I did, in a way. I also think this simile is getting away from me. So why the hesitance? Why, amongst the flags and parades, do we as a community and as individuals feel so much trepidation when it comes to expressing ourselves authentically? I believe the answer is about what you'd expect. Like I said before, I'm one of the lucky few. Hatred, ignorance, and violence have long since taken root, and their shadows rob us of safety around every street corner, on every other social media page, in the hearts and minds of the people close to us, in the hands of the people who govern us, in the mouths of our neighbors, in the laws that we live by. Homophobia, transphobia, ace and aerospecphobia, all of these forms of bigotry continue to be socially acceptable points of view, I say in air quotes, though you can't see me. Our lives, our loves, our expressions of ourselves, those continue to be up for debate. We are a loud and proud minority, it's true, but we are just that, a minority. Community can only protect us so far when we are ridiculed, demeaned, harassed, excluded, assaulted, and erased simply for existing. It's something I've come to learn as I've been exploring the true nature of my identity, but for so many people, particularly people of color, indigenous peoples, disabled people, neurodiverse people, and religious minorities, this has been a reality since the day they were born, if not long before. I mentioned in a previous recording the importance of affinity groups and my own experiences with them probably helped me come out to myself and rid me of a lot of the shame and fear I'd been carrying around with me. One of, if not the biggest risk I ever took was stepping into that room in Nashville. I knew that if anyone from my school saw me, I'd be outed. I knew that the space was for queer people only, and in the moment where they asked Anissa's had head allies to leave, I almost did. I was terrified that I wouldn't be seen as queer enough, that everyone would somehow know I was a fraud, the exact same way I felt about entering the room in the first place. I remember riding home from the airport with my dad and he'd asked me about all of my experiences and I admitted to him that I hadn't gone to the white affinity group to learn about white privilege. I'd gone to the LGBTQ group instead. I don't remember him saying anything after that, and even though I never doubted for a second that he loved me, I remember wondering if I, in that moment, had become a problem for him emotionally. Like a burden to cope or deal with. Not necessarily the fact of my identity, so much as having a queer daughter who would have to go out into a homophobic world sort of thing. This was long before I ever officially came out to them, and I never really did, we just sorta got there along the way. It was a similar thing at camp. I knew my bunkmates loved me and would be there for me, but the culture was such standard, misogynistic, heteronormative nonsense that I never dared even to try to come out to them. The boys our age were just out and out homophobic, but they also served up heaping helpings of sexism, racism, ableism, and all that jazz on the daily, so who cares if a few slurs were thrown around? Who, sitting on their own in the bus because all of their bunkmates chose other partners to sit with? Who, included but excluded at the same time by their bunkmates because of their refusal to participate in the stereotypical dating scene? Who, silently admiring the pride flags on field trips to cities like Boston but unable to point them out? Who would, sitting in the back of that bus, care if they heard the boys in the seats in front of them repeatedly using the F-slur like it was no big deal, treating the word gay like an insult, teasing, laughing, threatening violence? Who would care? Who would feel isolated, unsafe? Who feared coming out to their bunkmates because they might be seen as predatory for living in the same space as them, changing in the same space, showering in the same space? Who feared more ostracism, more isolation, more (laughs) out-and-out hatred? It's something that still stops me from being authentic in my self-expression. I'm still scared to be public about it on my social media for fear of threats or of judgment from those closest to me. I'm still scared of coming out to my older relatives who have been less than charitable towards the LGBTQ community because I've always been seen as the golden child and I'm afraid of losing their love. I'd say I was afraid of coming out at school, but when I took over Spectrum and became its public face, that ship kind of (laughs) sailed, but it has had its consequences. It's small but it changed the way people looked at me, the way they talked about me, just just slightly. But it's definitely something I'm glad I'm not going through alone. And in spite of all this, my fears don't fully extend to my physical safety, my financial security, whether I'll be kicked out of the house, whether my religion won't accept me although that's kind of moot since we stopped affiliating ourselves with organized religion a while back. I felt safe enough to discuss it in my college applications and in interviews, something I know so many other students before and after me have agonized over. I am lucky, but that doesn't stop those quiet moments from seeping in. That one day you give in and read the comment section of a well-meaning post, that one space you thought was accepting but turned out to be tolerant of intolerance, that one class where microaggressions fly under the radar and you just don't have the energy or the ability to combat them. No matter how visible you are, bigotry and hatred hurt, and you're allowed to feel that hurt. Being proud doesn't mean you are invincible. Removing yourself from the spotlight doesn't make you weak, it makes you a survivor. Psychological pain affects a person just as much as physical pain, and the more we promote the idea that ignoring that pain and danger is morally superior to acknowledging and protecting ourselves from it, the more we open ourselves and our communities to unnecessary harm. There is no right time to come out, and there is no moral obligation to do so. You don't have to play the part of the token just because there might be some closeted queer kid nearby who might be listening. Your identity is yours. It's not something that can be taken from you, or beaten out of you, or smothered into nothingness by silence. It's you, and protecting yourself is a natural and integral survival instinct. It's okay.